morning. Today's scripture reading will come from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James of John, the sons of Debedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do with us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be First must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. So there's a way that the world works. And then there's Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, we get to see both. Because the twelve apostles were men. They were sons, they were brothers, in some cases they were husbands. We've caught glimpses throughout the gospel accounts to see that these were guys that were hard workers. These were guys that liked to go fishing. They were also guys who wanted to be the best. James and John give us that first glimpse of that here in Mark chapter 10. They wanted honor. They wanted glory. And that is definitely a guy thing. And that's actually something that goes all the way back to how God first created us. It's not something that we as men need to be apologetic for. We come by it honestly. It's a part of what God intended for us when he made us in his image, that we would have dominion. The problem that we get into has to do with how we tend to go about that. Because when James and John walk up to Jesus and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Already, we're getting off on the wrong foot. Because they acknowledge Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the one with the authority. But they're not asking their teacher a question. That's a statement. They're making a demand. And notice, too, that as these guys come up in this demanding way, That they don't say what it is that they want him to do. They want Jesus to just agree to whatever they're going to say before they've even said what it is. It's like they weren't actually giving him a choice. Even the way that they approached Jesus, they were pressuring him. That what they wanted was already the right thing, so he had no business in even questioning him. And that's That's problematic, right? That's not a good way for men to be. Certainly not doing that to Jesus. That's obviously not a good approach for followers to take. But really, that's not a good way to be to anyone. 
Has anybody ever worked for a guy that was just a really demanding boss? He just expected you to read his mind. It didn't seem to matter what you did. It was never quite good enough. He always had something to complain about. Or maybe it wasn't a boss at work. Maybe it was a father that you had to walk on eggshells with. They never quite knew what he was going to flip out about. He never quite knew what was going to be an irritant to him. And he would just be explosive. So he tried everything he could to just keep dad happy. Or maybe it's a spouse who's always critical. Doesn't seem to matter what you did that day. He's always going to focus on the one thing he thinks you should have done with very little grace, with very little understanding. Maybe it's a boyfriend who's constantly pressuring, manipulating you to go further than you want to go. Who's putting all of these caveats in front of you of things that you'll do if you really love him. That's a problem. That's not the way God wants us to be as men. Of course, then I also find it very interesting what we see with these guys when it comes to confidence. Because as men, we tend to naturally veer on the side of confidence. But one of the things that we see with James and John here is is really overconfidence. Like I relate with this passage because I can think of times where something will break around the house. And I'll go, yeah, I can fix that. And then I can't. In fact, I make it worse, and it ends up costing more to fix it than if I just admitted I didn't know what I was doing. I'm reminded of a brother that was really confident his first time riding a mechanical bull. He could crank it all the way up because he's a man. You can handle that. We're just like that as guys. Like, oh yeah, I can do it. So when Jesus says to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I drink, to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We're able such a man answer, isn't it? Yeah, we can do it. Sure we can. They don't even know what he's talking about. They don't even completely understand the question. But yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. Yeah, we're good. Because they felt like to be men, they had to know the answer. That it was somehow less manly to ask. That being humble isn't a characteristic of a real man. So they needed to just show that sort of powerful confidence. And this wasn't just a James and John problem. Because remember, Jesus had 12 apostles. And as we look at them in this passage, they all struggled with this. Because when they see what James and John are doing, they have an issue with it, but not because they're like, that's not the way Jesus has taught us to be. They have an issue with it because they're like, well, wait a second, I want that too. They become indignant about it. So James and John think they're better than me. I'm going to beat those guys up. The very man response. Because that's how the world works. That's how the world works then. It's how the world works now. And Jesus tells them that. The world's way make us feel like we have to lord it over others. That we have to prove our worth by being more important than somebody else. Not only do we need to be bigger and better and stronger and wealthier than someone else, but we need you to know it. You need to know I'm better than you are. We're all about exercising authority. We want things to be that way because I said so. I'm the boss. I'm the man. And while that's very common, that's not Jesus. Because Jesus is a man too. Jesus was a son, a brother. Jesus was a hard worker. But Jesus 
he asked questions. James and John come up to him, and instead of just committing on the spot, he says, what do you want? You tell me what you're after first, and then I'll answer your question. Jesus wasn't less of a man because he asked questions that way. That actually means he was wise. It helped him to not just react to the world around him. It helped him to not just give in to whoever he was talking to that moment. He would even challenge these big burly men coming up trying to make demands of him. He would challenge them with things like, you don't know what you're asking. You don't actually understand what it is that you're after. He did. He knew what they were asking, even if they didn't. He knew how hard what they were asking for was really going to be. Because he knew where he was headed. He knew he was on his way to death on a cross. So not only did Jesus know exactly what they were asking, he was willing to do it anyway. He knew how hard, how humiliating, how painful it was going to be. He knew and he was willing to face it. Because Jesus as a man submitted to God first. He wasn't trying to lord it over anybody. He tells James and John, look, what you're asking for is not mine to grant. That belongs to the Father. He had clarity about whose will, whose worth mattered most. Jesus' concern was doing what the Father wanted done. He trusted that doing what the Father wanted to do would lead to glory and honor, but he knew he wasn't going to get there the easy way. It was going to be hard. It was going to take sacrifice. That is a much different depiction of manhood than many of us are used to. Now appreciate these apostles, these guys believed in Jesus. In fact, at this point, they were some of the only people that he had plainly told about his impending death and resurrection. Yet even though they knew that, even though they spent months, years, following Jesus, learning from Jesus at this point, they had heard him say these things. They had watched how he acted, but then they still acted like the world. They longed for greatness because they're men. That's how God made us. But they still hadn't learned from Jesus what that actually meant. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And why is that? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men. To be real men. Men like God created us to be. We have to be like the Son of Man, Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, that means we have to be men who serve. That means we have to be men who put other people first. It means we have 
to be willing to sacrifice, to do hard things that might be painful for us, that we might not want to, but we know that they're necessary. Because that is what Jesus has shown us, and that is what it means to be a man. Not to always get what we want, the way we want it, when we want it, but to do hard things for God's glory and the benefit of others. If we truly follow Jesus in that, then we will learn to be a man. A great example of this comes a little bit after this in Mark 10. If you flip over to John's Gospel again. In John chapter 11, we're going to read beginning with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister said to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken. The disciples said to him, Lord, he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he had taken rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Jesus had already foretold his death at this point. He knew what was awaiting him there in Jerusalem. And they had plenty of signs from the way the Jewish leaders had been acting towards them that it was pretty sure that that was going to be something he'd have to face. So now he was going near Jerusalem. Bethany was the last village before he got to Jerusalem. It was just a little bit outside. Knowing that these leaders were after him. They were looking for any excuse to arrest and execute And Jesus isn't afraid to go. He's not going to hide. He's not going to stay away because it's difficult. He will go, but only at the right time. He's not going to let anybody rush. He's not going to go just because it pleases somebody else. And in that example, Jesus shows us that real men act to glorify God. That goes back to what we were created for. Our whole purpose for being on this planet is to fill the world with his image and likeness. We're to lead all of creation in praising God for how great he is. And Jesus shows us what that looks like as men. It means that there will be times where we have to face hard, scary things 
in order to show his love and serve others. But he also shows us that if we're going to be men like he created us to be, we can't just react. We can't just do whatever somebody asks for us the minute that they ask for it. We can't be pushed around. We need to be thoughtful. What we do might not be exactly what we're asked for. It might not be right at the moment that we're asked for. But we are going to make sure that when we act, we do so trusting that this is the moment and we're going to glorify God through it. And if that's our aim, if the decisions we make, the things we say and do, we do because we believe I can glorify God this way, then we trust that as long as that's true, it's going to work out better for everybody else anyway. Even if we don't do exactly what somebody wants, if we are doing what God wants, it's going to benefit them too. It's going to be what truly matters. But that also means that to be a real man, we have to take necessary risks. Because of sin and death in this world, sometimes glorifying God is not safe. Jesus took risks. Jesus took risks and so did his apostles. Thomas, who we so often like to focus on for that episode of his life where he doubted, speaks up among his fellow apostles and says, let's go with him so that we can die with him. These guys struggled, but they weren't learning. There were ways that they weren't that full image of a man that God wanted them to be, but being around Jesus, they were learning. They were changing. And because of that, God was glorified. As we see in John 11, continuing with verse 17. Now when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning the birth. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I want us to appreciate, and you see Jesus here in John 11. We see that real men listen. Jesus knew how Martha was created as a woman, also in the image and likeness of God, incidentally. He knew how Martha was created because he was there when it happened. He was there with the Father in the beginning when we were uniquely made as male and female. So when Martha came near and wanted to talk, he listened. He listened to what she and her pain wanted to say. He met her where she was, and he talked with her. Even when 
what she had to say had a little hint of accusation. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus was man enough to not get defensive, to not immediately start arguing. He was confident in his identity. He was confident in his motivation. He was confident in God's purpose. If we took nothing else from this passage as guys but to learn how to do this, it would be huge. If we learned to listen. Don't mansplain them. Don't be thinking about your rebuttal before they finish their sentence. Don't walk around in every conversation thinking about how you're going to correct them. Just listen. Just come near. Don't react. If your ego gets a little wounded, have the strength and the love to listen. To listen and to feel. Because in John 11, continuing with 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of what it means to be a man. To be a man as God intended, as God created all of us to be. He's like us in every way, yet without sin. So Jesus shows us real men feel. Real men feel angry. That's what deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled means. Other translations will render that as saying that he was indignant. Jesus stepped amongst us and looked and saw the terrible effects that sin and death had brought on this world and felt indignant about it. It Offended him because he was there when God created it all. He knew what God's intentions were. He saw Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He was the means through which God brought it to existence. And this wasn't it. 
The tears and the pain and the accusation, the people not even being able to get out of bed or face the day, that is not what God wanted when he created this world. None of that was supposed to happen. Sin did that to us. And when Jesus saw it, he was upset. He was angry seeing what had happened to this very good world he had made for us because we didn't listen to God. It upset Jesus. And it should upset us too. But we need to learn to be upset about the right things. We need to learn to be upset the right way. Even if that means crying. Now some of you probably saw this coming. And you know my eyes get a little weak in a way that some of yours don't. So I want to just say up front, if you are not so inclined to be as outwardly expressive with your emotions, I'm not standing up here to tell you that you've got to be every bit as weepy as me to be a real man, because I don't think that's true. We're going to express our emotions differently. And that's okay. God has made us all unique. But I do want to challenge you to make sure that if you are not as outwardly expressive with your emotions as some of us are, make sure it's not because you believe the lie that boys don't cry. Make sure as a father or grandfather you don't impart to your children and grandchildren that boys don't cry. Make sure as a brother in church, if someone else has been gifted by God and secure enough in their emotions to express it, you don't make fun of them. That you don't tease or mock them. Because as our beloved sister, Kathy Todd, told me during one of our last visits before she passed. One of the things she was most proud to have taught her sons is that you can cry. Because Jesus was a man. And Jesus cried. Jesus wept. And he is the manliest man that has ever walked this earth. Nobody in here is more masculine than Jesus the Christ. This dude literally walked up to naked, stinky guys that no chain could hold and cast out demons. He went head to head with Satan and won. Here's somebody who would start a day having no idea where he was going to sleep that night having no idea where his next meal was going to come from, and he was fine. He knew God was going to provide, and he just went out and did good. You cannot be more of a man than Jesus. And Jesus wept. Jesus felt exactly how God created him to. Because as God created us, real men feel. Real men care about what is going on in the world around us. Real men care about it, and real men do something about it. Because in John 11, and verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. 
Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Sometimes glorifying God is scary. Sometimes, even if the status quo is painful, when push comes to shove, we will prefer that over an uncertain future. Because appreciate in this passage, Martha had just been talking to Jesus about how upset she was that her brother had died, about how confident she was that God would do whatever he said. But when it came time to roll away that stone, she didn't want Jesus to do it. She was scared about what was going to be on the other side of that stone. She was scared of what was going to happen after Jesus took that action. So Jesus had to be a man. Just like he didn't come running as soon as he heard Lazarus was sick because he wanted God to be glorified, he didn't say, oh, okay, Martha, that's fine. We'll keep the stone on the rock. He had to be a man. He loved her. He was going to listen to her. He was going to come close to her, but his aim was glorifying God. And even when she was scared of what the future might hold, he was confident that if he did what God sent him there to be, it was going to be worth it. The fear, the pain, the tears would be redeemed for what was on the other side of what God had to do. But in order for him to lead her in that, notice that real men focus us on God. Because that's what he did. He reminded her. You remember what I said? You remember the word of Christ? And if our aim as men truly is glorifying God, not just glorifying ourselves, not just getting what we want, if we truly are, being the men God created us to be, and we're trying to do what God wants us to do, then part of our calling, as Jesus shows it to us, is to remind our wives, our daughters, our sisters in church. You remember what Scripture told us? This is scary. This is difficult. But if this is what God's calling us to do, it's going to be okay. It's going to be His power at work. It's going to be possible. I know you're scared. I know this isn't how things normally work, but we're going to trust God. And it's going to be okay. He's going to bring us through. Jesus not only reminded Martha of what the word of Christ said, but he prayed. He led her, he led everybody around in prayer. Not because he doubted what God was going to do, because he wanted them all to hear his confidence in what God would do. And what God would make possible. As men, 
leading in our homes, leading in our workplaces, leading in the church, that's who we need to be. When our sisters dearly loved are struggling, we need to gently, patiently, lovingly remind them of what God's Word says. And then just as humbly pray with them. To stop and say, hey, let's pray about this. Let's focus ourselves on what God wants done. If you're going to be a Christian man in your home, that's what you got to do. I help some of you as much as I can. When your wives and your mothers come to me with those things, and I'm going to be happy to do that. I'm here to equip. But man, it would be great if you guys could do it too. A lot of you do. And even if you're not there just yet, even if the only time your wife hears you pray is before you get in, even if the only time she hears you read scripture is if Nick's texted you to read scripture to worship, I can change. Twelve apostles had to learn to. You just keep following Jesus. You keep learning from his example. You can become that man that helps your wife when she is so scared about what's around the next corner by reading that scripture, by saying that prayer. By being the man God gave you to her to be. To be what he knew she needed. To be the man in this church that God put you here to be. To help lead this body, not just in going back and forth between status quo, not just bouncing around people pleasing, not just finding out whose toes got stepped on lately and what we need to do to change to make everybody happy. Be a man. Be a man like Jesus. Focus on what God says. Pray. Love people. Be humble. Be gentle. But make no mistake about who you are here to glorify. You're here to glorify God. And if you lead the people around you to glorify Him too, it's going to work out for everybody. You're going to be exactly where you're supposed to be. And then you'll get to see how real men change things. Jesus changed that whole situation. He literally turned mourning into dancing, sorrow into joy. God was glorified by what Jesus did that day, but Jesus was too. People knew that this Son of Man was something more. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a miracle worker. Now, them knowing that directly led to his own death. There was a straight line between what Jesus did at Lazarus' tomb and his crucifixion a few days later, as the rest of John 11 shows us. But Jesus was willing to suffer as a man. He was willing to sacrifice if it meant God's glory. He trusted that through it, God would glorify him. And he did. Because Jesus did suffer, Jesus did die, and Jesus did rise. <clears throat> On a Sunday morning like today, the third day, he rose. And now the Son of Man reigns at God's right hand. We need real men like that. In our homes, in our workplaces, in this community, in this church, we need men who sacrifice and serve instead of command and control. 
We need men who wake up each morning and choose their actions based on what will glorify God and they take the necessary risks to do so. We need men who listen, men who feel. We need men who focus us on God and change things. We need men who are different. You know, like Lazarus in that tomb, a lot of people today treat the whole idea of masculinity as though it's already dead and buried. It's something old and stinky. Just leave it behind that stone. We don't need it anymore. Don't even roll it back. Don't even talk about it. Because we think that it's just lording over. We think it's just exercising authority. So good riddance. But that's not the kind of masculinity we're talking about. Jesus can unbind set free. Manhood doesn't have to be dead and buried if we let him tell us what it means. If we let him call us out of all of the sin and all of the death that is corrupting what God wants into being something different. Into being the men that we're meant to be into being men like him. He's called. Will we go? Will you pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his clarity and confidence. We thank you for his love and gentleness. We thank you for his compassion and courage. And we ask, Father, please shape us more into that. Thank you, Father, for those ways that that's expressed for those ways that's expressed in how we love our spouses and children and the ways that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ and the way that we love and serve our parents and in our workplaces. Father, convict us of the ways that we're not there yet. Convict us of those ways, just like your son challenged his apostles when we're indignant, when we're self-seeking, when we're not where we need to be as men, when we are falling short of who you called us to be. Encourage us, Father, in those ways we've learned from your son. Convict us, Father, in those ways we're out of step and mold us to be men that are like him. Help our sisters, Father, to have men around them that love them and listen to them, to have men around them that help us to focus on God, to focus on you, to focus on your word, to pray to you, and to be able to face uncertain futures, confident that if we are seeking your glory, it will all be okay. Help our sisters, Father, to stir that in us. Help our sisters, Father, to encourage that in us. Help our sisters, Father, to give grace to us as we learn that. Help our sisters, Father, to receive from us love and leadership that helps and builds and glorifies you and blesses us all. And Father, for any man or woman here right now that is not following your son, For any man or woman here right now that is lost in sin and death, that needs to put to death the way they've been living life and start life anew, that needs to be united with your son in baptism to start that new life coming out of that water just like he came out of the grave on Sunday morning. For anyone who's been united with your son in baptism but hasn't been keeping in step with your spirit, who's let sin drive a wedge between them and you that is still acting more like the world than they are like your son, 
prick our hearts, draw us near. Let this be the day that we cry out to you and receive your help and see things start to change. Thank you for this moment to be together, Father, and please empower us to go forth from here to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.